Hey everyone, welcome to the Power of Why replay edition. For the month of August, we are pulling from the archives, replaying previous conversations with guests on the show. This is an episode that Lola Placu and I recorded last season. Lola is the founder of Lola Media Group and Girl Connected. She is driven, strategic, thoughtful, and is a powerhouse in the music and entertainment space. She's worked with many artists, including folks that you know, The Weeknd, Belly, French Montana, Big Sean, Travis Scott, Asaf Rocky, Kelani, uh, just to name a few. This is Building an Intentional Brand in the Music and Entertainment Industry with Lola Placu. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Power of Why. Today, I'm sitting down with an incredible guest. Her name is Lola Placu. Lola, thanks so much for being here today. Hi, thanks for having me, Naomi. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, so I'll give folks a little bit of context on your story before we dive into the into the conversation. But before before I say that, I'd love to say that, you know, the real reason that you really stood out to me is because of your presence. And I remember we met last year through the Girl Connected program that you started, which we'll definitely be talking about. Um, but you're, I know you have a lot going on, but your ability to focus on the people that you are in conversation with at the moment was something that I still remember, even though it's been, you know, over a year since we chatted. So <laughs> your intention, your focus on doing excellent work is something that I'd love to delve into with you today during, during our conversation. So for the audience, uh, Lola is the founder and CEO of Lola Media Group a firm that is focused on artist management and brand development. And she is also the founder of Girl Connected, which is a mentorship program for women who are looking to build in the music and entertainment industry. So we'll be talking a little bit about, you know, how Lola has worked to get to this point by really starting out with writing about artists through her blog and also on uh, Hip Hop Canada being invited to shows and then also going out of her way to just put herself in different cities, right? Like location was something that didn't stop Lola from building relationships. So, so Lola has more than 10 years of experience in this space. She's been featured in a ton of publications like variety.com, Forbes.com, Vice, Elle Canada. And she was also born and raised in Albania, which is really close to Greece and, and Serbia. And at the age yep. of 13, you made your way to Toronto. So yep. tell us a little bit about your origin story and how you grew up, Lola. Wow, I, uh, I love the, you know my bio better than, uh, that was great. That was a great intro. So I grew up in Albania uh, and moved to Canada when I was 13. Um, mm-hmm. Not really much there. I came to Canada in high school, learned English in Canada, and got in the music business in my first and second year of university. Mm-hmm. So that was, I, I, I met a band that was recording. I went to school in Waterloo at Laurier, and um, there was a, a group, a rap mm-hmm. group, and mm-hmm. they wanted to make music, and I was really naive. It was my first, I had never been in the music industry, never done anything I literally came to Canada, like I wanted to say seven, eight years prior. So my question was like, why aren't you famous? And their answer was, you know, well, it's not easy to be famous. And I, it, for me, it was just such like a nonchalant answer. Like, what do you mean? You get a song on the radio, you perform, mm-hmm. you get fans, you sell tickets, you sell merchandise, you sell albums, you're famous. 
Um, and so I didn't really understand the business. And so as artists, they're like, well, there's more that goes into it. Like, how do you get on radio? How do you get on the show? Um, and so I decided to put a concert together to help promote them and other musicians. And that was my first thing in the music industry. Uh, prior to that, like, I didn't know. I was a Backstreet Boy fan all my life in Albania. Mm-hmm. So this was like my first introduction to like um, the rap music and just the industry as a whole. Yeah, I that was, yeah. so Lola, um, your story is, you know, captured a lot online. And so I was reading some of the articles yep. that people put together and, you know, in sort of in those interviews <laughs> and that story that you talked about happened in 2004. And so yeah. how did, how did that show end up going? Like how much time did you have to, to prepare that and put something together? I don't know if it was 2004, 2005, but it was definitely like my first or second year of university. I don't remember. Uh, I have to go find the date somewhere. But um, it was at a club at a bar called Luz Change Luis. Um, I negotiated with the bar owners to do a door. Uh, I would keep the door. They would get the bar. The bar had to make a $2,000 minimum. It did not make the $2,000 minimum, so I had to pay the difference. Um, with it, I guess I paid the difference with the ticket, so I didn't make any money from it at all. But it was my way of getting. I, I met a lot of people, so I reached out to Universal mm-hmm. asking for giveaways if they had any like uh, towels and CDs and like posters. You know, they do promotional materials and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they were like, "Oh, of course." I was like, "I'm a promoter in Waterloo doing." I, I didn't even say I was a promoter. I just said I'm doing a concert, and I think right. because because I was reaching out and I was promoting an event I got the title of a promoter from people I guess you know the music most industries work with labels right people want to know what mm-hmm. you are and what you do so at the time I was a promoter and so I got this is that's a that's what I, I was I was called so I was like yeah I'm a promoter in Waterloo I'm doing this concert so they would give me freebies um so I reached out to Universal I reached out to um what was the music the music store that sold CDs at the time do you remember? Oh, or you're know. you're probably too young. <laughs> you're too young for this. Um, oh, I forgot the name of it right now. But uh, one of the the music stores that sold tickets, that sold um, sorry CDs, I reached out to them. Uh, I reached out to United Way. I, I was like, hey, I'm doing a concert. Hmm. Want to donate the money? I don't want to make a profit from it. It was for me. It was just about branding. Like even mm-hmm. then, when I didn't really understand branding, I was going to school for sociology and communications with a minor in communications, and. Um, yeah. What I wanted, I, I just thought, okay, well, if there's a charity component to it, people might want to show up and support because there's a charity component. Whereas um, if I just said, I'm going to make a profit, people might not want to show up. These artists are fairly new. I went online, found different performing bands, found DJs, breakdancers, just a way to like create a lineup. I had to learn how to produce everything myself from the sound to the tech, like the tech sync up. I literally did everything myself. And then in the process, a friend of mine told me about Hip Hop Canada, which is where I wanted to promote the artist. They gave me free promo, I think, on the site um, for the show since it was a charity event. And reading on the site, I was like, oh my God, this is my dream. This is what I want to do. I want to write for Hip Hop Canada. Like, I want to be a journalist. Mm-hmm. And so they gave me, the, they said, okay, if you want to write, you can write for us. So I just became a writer for Hip Hop Canada from the concert. It literally went into being a writer. Um, and they would just give me any stories. They would give me artists that didn't have bios, didn't have anything out. And again, this is like 2005, I think I started writing for Bob Canada or a little earlier. Yeah, it, it was early. So I, I don't even think Twitter wasn't even around. There was no way, nowhere to search an artist the way you can search somebody now, right? 
So mm. I would have to come up with questions that were interesting for somebody. You see how you did all this research and you know so much about me. I would have to start from ground zero. Right. I literally would be, maybe sometimes would be given a bio. Sometimes we would not be given anything and would have to figure out how do I make this person sound interesting in an article, whether it's a Q&A or whether I read the article based on what the person is telling me. So they gave me a lot of those stories until eventually I became the editor and then I was assigning stories to our, to the writers that were under us. Um, and the labels would pitch me all the talent that they wanted to, to do articles on. And then I would assign it to our writers. So that small event, small concert kind of led to my startup on Hip Hop Canada. I also had a college, like a university radio show at the time uh, in, at Laurier. And then additionally, different promoters from like the Toronto GTA would reach out to me when they had artists that were touring. Um, they would reach out because, I, again, I got that title of a promoter. Yeah. So they would say, oh, I have, there's a Mob Deep tour. We know a promoter in Waterloo. Let's reach out to her to see if she wants to do the show. So I started getting all these like requests for if I wanted to book talent in the Tri-City area. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it, that's kind of how I built my networking. Um, and then the second that I would be invited, I would, I just met different people being in the business, whether it's, you know, writing an article or doing a story, I would get asked to interview artists. And if I could go and be in the city they were in, I would go and be in the city they were in. I would mm -hmm. rather take that drive or their flight or whatever it was just to make sure that I was building the report with the artists and the relationship so that down the line, if I wanted to continue to build with them or if I had other opportunities for them that I could go ahead and, and reach out. And I, I didn't have to necessarily, um, you know, go through like third parties or people who scheduled the interviews or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. You had that direct relationship with the, with the artist and their work as well. Or, right. Or, or the, all the, the people that represent them. It's, there's a difference between being in a room with somebody then mm -hmm. rather than being on a call where somebody scheduled it and you don't right. really know that person. So you're just answering questions, very dry, very awkward. Like I did, I remember doing an interview with, um, with an artist. Uh, he had a really, really big, big record at the time. And I had researched him. I mean, like I knew <laughs> everything about his life. I want to yeah. say this was 2007. So we're on the phone and he's, he's like, are you the feds? I was like, no, <laughs> what? <laughs> he's like, are you the, are you the feds? And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm just a journalist. He's like, how do you know all this stuff? And I'm like, I Googled it. I don't know. I just Googled wow. you. I read, I read so many articles just to try to deduce as much information as I could and put stories together. And he just was like, wow, this is impressive. And he, I can still reach out to that. I haven't, I, I, don't, I haven't spoken to that artist in so long, but I can reach out to that artist right now. And he would know who I am. Uh, he would remember that interview, even though I don't have it anywhere. Um, and not recorded or written because it, it, it doesn't exist anymore online. I got taken down eventually, but yeah, it, uh, it's, it, it was, I, I was very, very thorough. So there's a few interviews where the artist or the subject matter remembers me, but a lot of times when you're, that, that's very rare, right? Like you have to be really interesting where you have to ask these like really different questions for a person to actually remember who you are. Whereas in person, it's your charisma, it's the way you make right. eye contact, it's the way you communicate, um, you know, and then you meet somebody from their team. You, uh, for me, I loved, I loved building and I loved mm -hmm. 
being of service to other people's success. So it's like, if I'm meeting you and I think you're a talented musician, because obviously I'm here interviewing you, is there an opportunity where you can, I can, I can help build your brand further, whether uh, booking you for a show or booking you for a party or bringing you to a completely new environment that maybe you haven't been in before. How can I utilize the relationships I have on this side of the border in Canada to an artist that maybe hasn't been in Canada yet? at the time right so being in those rooms it wasn't just about building with the artists because a lot of the times the artist is just talent and they you know i i i know that the relationships are it's best to build with their team versus with the artists because they don't obviously uh, make those decisions themselves a lot of the times so i wanted to be in rooms and i wanted to travel to meet the team mm -hmm. so that i could align myself with those people Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that sort of full scope, almost like a full service, just the way that you think is very like people minded, people first type of approach. Mm -hmm. And I think when folks think about industries like this, where we see the public figure, and just from like a fan's perspective, we really hone in on that. Mm -hmm. But there's so much, as you just mentioned, learnings with the people and teams that are also a part of that rise. And because you spent time yeah. to develop those relationships and really connect those dots. You know, how do you see that playing out right now where we're more obviously in a remote environment and you might not have that luxury to like hop on a plane and meet someone in person the way that we could, you know, even last year. What, yeah. what, have, you, what have you noticed? What nuances um, have you been extrapolating? Well, I... I think that when you're, if we're speaking about interviews specifically or journalism, I think that one understanding, like, I think knowing, can I swear on your podcast? Sure. <laughs> okay. Knowing, I say this, uh, even when I do the girl connected conversations, know your shit. That's like my, that's right. my biggest thing. When you know what you're talking about, you command a room and you command a conversation. So mm -hmm. If you're, if you're going to have a conversation with somebody, now that could be a business meeting, that could be an artist you're interviewing, it could be public facing individuals or behind the scenes individuals, it doesn't really matter. Whatever it is, whatever conversation you need to have, whether it's remotely or in person, you have to know your shit in order for you to command the room and command the conversation. If you're going into a conversation awkward, not knowing, kind of skeptical, second guessing yourself, that's gonna translate as well in the whether it's a zoom call or whether it's a phone call right so i think that when you really know um what you're talking about you know the individual that you're meeting you know the the, the type of meeting that you're being a part that you're participating in i think that's what make will make it memorable so i'm saying this to say that you could have a zoom meeting now you can have a remote conversation now and if you really know the topic and if you really understand it if you've done your research and you've done your due diligence i think the conversation can be just as um, fruitful. just as exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It can be just as exciting and just as fruitful as an in-person conversation. Again, obviously the charisma and the fun and the, the, the joking and like, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't, doesn't, is not the same obviously. Um, but yeah, I think you can have great conversations. You can have very productive meetings as long as you make the, make an effort to really be remembered and to really, um, uh, to really contribute, to really have something to contribute, you know? Um, but I do think that like in, for example, for Girl Connected, we, we've done a lot of virtual conversations where we initially expected to have those in person, have like bigger panels. We've done these like online workshops on Zoom and 
we were doing programming. It's funny that you asked that question. We were doing programming for 2021 with the team and everybody was brainstorming ideas and people that would be great in conversation with one another, either because, you know, they have, they're in the same space or um, they have similar audiences or whatever. And to me, I was like, because this stuff is remote and you don't get to meet somebody face to face and you don't get to see how they are or who they are. It's important that two individuals at least know each other for mm-hmm. me. So that's something that I'm applying in this new virtual reality in a way that we're all living. Um, when I'm scheduling events or when I'm scheduling conversations, I like to think, okay, does this person know this person or at least know their work or know of their work? Or are they in the similar circles? This way, when they're having a conversation, is not awkward and it's not dry and it's not just somebody asking a question to a person and that they don't know each other, right? Because I feel okay. like it's so much more, the, the, the walls are down and mm-hmm. people are more candid and they're more genuine when it's somebody they know and they trust and they know mm-hmm. and, and, they, and they trust, I'm sorry. So if, if you are in the space in the music industry and you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, okay, I have to plan events or I have to plan stuff for 2021 and we'll have to be virtual, try to think, how can I get people in a room who know and respect one another? for a more genuine and candid conversation. I've, I've seen and I've been a part of panels where a person doesn't know who I am and they couldn't give two shits about what I have to say. And it's the conversation is, hey, oh my God, so you've worked on this, da, 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 And then immediately, instead of like following up on my answer, the conver- like they go to the next question mm-hmm. because they're not actually taking the time to digest what I said or they don't care about what I said or they don't really know me or know my work. They really just have a bunch of questions written out and their goal is to get through this conversation and to ask all those questions, but not to engage in conversation. So I think that, but when you have two people who actually know each other and respect each other or at least know each other's work, it's like, oh my God, I'm a fan. I want, right. I want to engage in conversation with you because I genuinely like you and I like your work and I respect you. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. And that, that's not just for virtual stuff. That's in-person stuff as well, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but especially because this is virtual, putting two people on camera who don't know each other. Do you know how awkward that is? There's a so, context building as well, right? Where you yeah. have almost stories that you can look back on and maybe just engage with that further in the conversation. That's really cool. And so, Lola, you brought up Girl Connected. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to to spend a little bit more time here uh, on that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, you know, folks can go online and read on the website for more mm-hmm. context. Um, but for you, what was your initial response to maybe stuff that you were seeing in the industry? And I know you, I remember during the interview process, you also mentioned that you've been wanting to build this program for a very long mm-hmm. time. And so can you tell tell us a little bit about the timing aspect and why you felt, okay, at this point, I think, you know, we have all the pieces that we need to make this a really flourishing and, and powerful community. What's that process been? Um, the initial concept, like the initial idea was formulated in 2014. So quite a while ago. Hey there. Thanks for tuning into this episode. If you are enjoying the conversation, make sure to share it with a friend. Take a screenshot, spread the word. It really allows me to bring on more incredible guests as we continue to level up in the podcasting space. Eid was inspired by conversations I had with different women in the music business or who wanted to be in the music business who simply saw my my life through social media. So... 
And it's like, that's just one aspect of it, obviously. Right. But so I would get a lot of questions, a lot of messages, a lot of emails. I want to do what you do. How do I get in the music business? How do I, and it's like, I've done a lot. I've done everything from journalism, tour management, artist management. I've done booking. I've done PR. I've done marketing. I've done event production, concert production, like literally everything under the scope of music business. I, I, except for publishing, I feel like, um, but I've, I, everything else that's hands-on experience, I've done it. And it's not that glamorous and I get it. You get to work with talent, especially when you're a fan of that talent. It feels like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm here. I can't believe it. Um, and it, it is very surreal at times when you're watching something you've done and there's 50,000 people at a show and you're like, Holy shit, this was me. Mm-hmm. I did this. Um, there's several artists whose concerts I produced where I literally cried um, uh-huh. on the side of the stage because I was like, I can't believe we did that. Um, those mm-hmm. are moments that are in history that they're never going to, you know, you can never change them. So it's, it's really exciting. But the work that goes behind it is tremendous. The, you have to have the tenacity that you have to have, the work ethics and the, um, like the, the will to be okay when people say no or pass on your ideas or the, fi- the, the downhill of the, of the lack of financial contributions to put something together, whether it's a concert or an artist's career, is really difficult. And I, find, I found that through these conversations, a lot, of, a lot of people really aspired to do what I did because of what they saw on social media, which was like a cool tour or being with an artist in the studio. And I was like, there's so much more work that goes behind it. And I just felt that there wasn't enough information, hands-on information about what it is that you do. So I would get messages like, I want to do tour management. And I'm like, do you know that I'm balancing with a bus driver, like 80% of the tour? Like, do you know that I'm literally going there doing like going to sound check, making sure everything is okay, dealing with the artists, their wardrobe, their travel, their hotel, their bus, their cars, their, you know what I mean? Like, that's really what I'm doing. I'm not sitting there holding hands, hanging out, taking pictures. Sure. That's a part of it. And it's fun, but that can only be fun if everything else is taken care of. And the other, everything else is 90% of the work. And if you don't have the, uh, like, if you're not organized enough to be able to take care of all those details, shit will fall apart. And then your artist will be mad at you. And then you, you know, you have a, a bad working relationships. And then this, again, this business is all relationships. So for me, I was like, you people need to understand the building blocks. Mm-hmm. of the music industry or things that go into the music industry. And I want to find a way to, to teach these without it being a school program necessarily, more so mentorship, which can be very much advice-driven, guidance-driven, program-driven, uh, assignment-driven, things of that nature. But I didn't have the funding. I didn't have the, I was in a, when, when the idea came together, I was in a really, really busy time of my life where I was running around and, and traveling with talent a lot um, that I didn't have a, really have a, a chance to, to sit down. And also uh, there was a group of women that helped me that had my back when I was coming up and Lisa mm-hmm. Monet, a DJ from Toronto, she coined the term girl connected and she, we, we called ourselves girl connected. That's where the, where the, where the term came from because it was a group of women who constantly supported one, one another, who showed up for one another, who, like cheered each other on each of us on in a way you know what I mean and so Mm -hmm. I was like I want to create that kind of community I want to be able to pull everybody together so that if you are working in the music business and you need a photographer you need a videographer you need a public speaker you need um, a manager you need an 
attorney, like you know where to go to find all of that in Toronto. And mm-hmm. I found that that wasn't, those resources weren't always readily available. And so I wanted to create that community in addition to obviously providing the tools and resources necessary so that women in, in the business who did want to be in those, in those spaces um, so that they had those resources. So that's where the concept and ideation and everything came together. And then um, in 2018, I picked it back up again by doing a conversation in Atlanta. And then from then on, I did Atlanta, I did London, I did New York, I did Atlanta again. And then we partnered with Factor to do two mm-hmm. conversations in Toronto just to see how they would go. They did really, really well. We had 150 RSVPs and 150 show ups. I think we might've missed like two or three people that didn't show up, that RSVP that didn't show up, but then other people made up for their, for their space. And yeah, and it was really good. And, and so then Factor uh, partnered with us to launch the program as an actual mentorship program in 2020. And then COVID hit and right. quarantine hit. And we were like, oh God. But How are we going to make we, this happen? And you, and you did, you just celebrated the kind of closing off of yep. this cohort and it looked incredible. Like you guys were able to make it the most of what it could be. Um, And Lola, you talk about that network that you had in terms of building. And I think that's such an interesting conversation around how much support both ways, like mutual support um, and how powerful it can be to build with peers in your industry and just, you know, give each other resources or access. And so for you, when you talk about certain things not being accessible when it comes to having like a very uh, like a a focal point almost of where you can go to find this information or learn more about Mm -hmm. building in this space I'm sure the logistics of it were were a lot but (laughs) (laughs) but you also talk like that's very much it sounds like that's your day-to-day is that you're constantly going to meetings you have things that you need to organize and things don't always go as planned you know what I mean like even though we do have a plan and a strategy things kind of fall off um and so you know when we talk about work ethic and the amount of skills that you have been building over you know the past number of of years what like how do you invest in yourself how do you specifically invest in yourself well now is by turning my phone off after certain hours and just and and kind of like recouping and mm-hmm. and taking time to myself now but um when i was getting started and building my name, my relationships, my ideas, there was no rest. And I wanted to do everything and I wanted to be very good at doing everything. And I didn't want to do anything half-assed. So how I invested in myself is by seeing things through. Um, and that's like the biggest thing, the bigger, the busier you get, I'm sorry, the, the, the more ideas you want to execute and the more projects you take on and the bigger you get and you grow, um, the busier you get as well. And, and that is something that I constantly want to, I, I it's something that I, I strive to always be very good at is to complete the stuff that you, that you commit to. Mm-hmm. So the way that I invested in my, in my, in myself over the years was committing to things and seeing them through instead of committing to things and, and kind of doing it, but not really doing it. So if I'm going to do tour management, I'm going to see this tour through and through. I'm going to have to learn everything that goes into it, whether that's, if I'm going to do journalism, I, I watched, I remember when I first started working for Pop Canada, I watched so many DVDs. I learned 50 Cent's entire life front to back. 
Like mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that I was, I was, I had the best questions and mm-hmm. I was super prepared so that nothing would ever catch me off guard so that I could walk into a room and, and hold my head up high and speak my mind if I needed to, because I knew what I was talking about. And so that's how I invested in myself. I made sure that I had whatever knowledge I needed. I know you never know, you never know everything. You never stop learning. But at the time, for whatever, for every moment in my life and for every decision I made, I wanted to make sure that I knew the best that I could. And if I didn't, to surround myself with people who knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So that way we learned off of one another. Um, so, and that's how, that's how I feel like you can invest in yourself. I feel like you can, you know, you can take all the courses, you can learn all the materials, but sometimes maybe if you don't know how to do something, it's just asking for help. And it's just knowing that, you know, you can't do everything yourself and investing in a team and building with people who can take you to your end goal. But the point is to have an end goal and figure out how to get there. Otherwise, think- you start a bunch of stuff and just right. not finish it. That's huge. There's this quote by James Clear, and he talks about vision being the bottleneck of talent, not necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, the, the amount of effort that you're putting in, but right. do you actually know what this is actually, this is building towards. Yes. And, um, just your ability to prioritize as well is, is so, so important. Oh God, um, no, I'm not. It, it looks <laughs> like that, but on the inside, I'm dying. I'm like, oh God, I haven't prioritized everything. Um, like I'm in the middle of working on a presentation as we're doing this. I have to, I have to have something handed in, not a presentation, but I have to have a project to do yesterday, really. And I'm like, yeah, no worries. We'll talk. I have time. I don't have a hard out. And it's so prioritized. It just, I think there's something that you said earlier in the, in the beginning of our conversation where you were, where you said, I focus on the people who I'm speaking to at the time. And mm. I didn't realize that I do that, but I do do that. Um, it's important to me. It's important to me that I put my energy and time and focus on whatever it is that I'm doing right now. And I think that's part of that vision or that goal or that um, of seeing something through. It's just saying this needs to be done or this person, I, I'm talking to this person or I'm putting energy and time into this thing and I'm going to see this through and through. Even though I get sidetracked so easily by so many different things, it's like I'm I, I have to finish this. You know, I started, I finish, and then I work on to the next thing. And that's kind of how I get stuff done. Mm-hmm. And in some of your conversations, um, you know what? That story, Lola, of your first figuring out how to um, host that first concert is so fascinating. Oh, God. On, <laughs> on one <laughs> end, it was that you just kind of went in, you know, believing that, I got this figured out. You know what I mean? And you just kind of like literally grew and figured things out as you went. And I think for a lot of people, that's really scary. A lot of people like to have everything laid out and, um, you know, can't execute until it's almost perfect. But I think in actually building experiences and your expertise, like almost this is seems really necessary. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to know until you get started. And it was the same thing when I started this podcast. I, Mm -hmm. you know, there's only so much you can learn by doing research, but when you actually test it out and figure things out, then you start to test yourself and you put yourself in environments where you're, it demands you to grow as a person, you know? Yeah, it depends. If you're committing to something, if you say you're going to do something, you have to figure out how to do it. Nobody's going to help you. I remember meeting this somebody, I don't name names. So I remember meeting another young woman in the business and she had taken on the role of an artist manager and she did not know that she could get reimbursed for an expense on an album expense and was spending out of pocket money to take care of the artist. And so 
in this particular conversation, she was crying. She was really upset. And I just sat there and I was like, you committed to take on this artist as uh, to be ma- to, to, to do management for this artist, ask for help. When you don't know something, you have a community around you. Everybody has somewhat of a community. Might not be exactly what you need or might be the, the most experienced people, but you have a community of people around you. Ask questions and figure out how to, because once you commit to something, you can't just be like, well, I can't do this or I don't know how to do this. You have to figure out how, whether, and, and like you said, it's not always going to be by reading books because nobody really tells you. There's no, nobody gives you the, the, the blueprint of how to do a job because every job is different. Every person is different. Every relationship is different. Every deal is different. So you just kind of have to figure that out. But once you get into something, you, you, you just have to figure out how to do it. And you can't kind of throw your hands up and be like, ah, well, nobody told me, or I didn't know, or the book I read didn't give me this guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So my advice has always been like, you don't know something, figure it out. But there's no, no, there's no, my dad said this, I've said this in other interviews there. My dad has said to me, there's no such thing as I don't know. There's only, I don't want to. And so for me, mm-hmm. if I don't know something, I have to figure out how to do it. That's so good. And if you don't put your hand up, mm-hmm. then people think that you haven't figured out and that, you know, yes. you don't need support. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then you're, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice because we don't know everything. There are things like the, the what you said about no, having a vision and having a, a vision as a part of your plan is important. I usually have more so like, I know exactly where I want to go. I know exactly, I can see it in my mind. Right. But mm-hmm. then it's like, what does it take to get there? My husband, he's really good at that. He's really good at figuring out what are the steps that you need to get to get to this point. If you want Girl Connected to be here, what are you going to do? These are the steps that you're going to have to do to get there. For me, it's like, I know I'm going to get there. How I'm going to get there. I don't know. I'm going to figure it out along the way. So I'm kind of just going to wing it and some things work out and some things don't. Um, whereas he's more so like, I know you have the vision. I know exactly. I know you see it in your mind. This is exactly what's going to look like. Other people don't know that. Write it out, put it out. Like I remember coming at Tim with an idea and he was like, try to explain it to me. And I was like, I can't, I don't know. I just know, I know what it's going to look like. The feeling. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, I know the feeling, I know the vision, I can yeah. see it, I can, I can literally see it. And he was like, okay, but other people might not be able to. I'm not able to read your mind and I'm, I can't see the vision that you have. So you have to be able to write it down so that other people can help you take those steps to get to that vision. So that's what so he's, cool. he's really good at. Um, and so sometimes it's, it's a lot of fighting. It's a lot of pulling and pushing back. But w- when, I, when I need him to help me with an idea, I have to like put, put out into words. I sometimes I have to draw mind maps down of like, okay, we, can't, we have to do this. I have to do this. I want this, this, this. And he'll be like, okay, this makes sense. And this is what the structure would look like. And this is what year one would look like and year two and year three and year four. This is what the financial growth will be, et cetera, et cetera. Stuff that I can do, but I, I don't immediately, my mind doesn't immediately jump into that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm more so on the creative side, like vision. I get it. I know, I know mm-hmm. what it will be. Mm-hmm. And you know what you literally, the image that you illustrated here is such a powerful depiction of what like really interesting, like personal, whether it's personal, professional relationships, Mm -hmm. like how teams really rely on each other, right? Where, you know, whatever your strengths are, someone else might have different types of strengths, but you in really being able to come together, that's really powerful. Mm -hmm. Yes. I like that. Yeah. 
No, it, it's it, it is really difficult. I know that it's really hard for entrepreneurs, especially when they start a business or a podcast or anything really that they they put their mind to. They think that it's an exciting idea. Um, it's really hard to to explain to somebody why it's important when you don't have metrics yeah. or you haven't done it before or they don't believe in it or it's something that you know how to do but other people don't necessarily know how to do. And it's I know that that's that's really hard. That, that's the hardest thing for me. It's like I don't want somebody to judge me on an idea just because just because it might not be a million dollar idea today. And so I'm sometimes it, it's like getting out of that feeling of. I'm scared to share it out of fear of rebuttal of like, I'm very particular. I like doing things a particular way. The minute that I start sharing it, the minute that you put an idea out there, you open it up to, for people to give you their feedback. And sometimes, you know, you don't want the feedback, um, <laughs> even though you might need it. But I feel like it's important when you're building a team that you do that because it's hard to find people who are going to motivate you and help mm -hmm. you and, and champion you really to your goal without knowing exactly what it is that you, you want to do. Um, so I've had to kind of, even though I've been in the business for a long time, even though I know a lot of people, that doesn't mean that, again, that I'm not learning and that I'm not growing as a, as a entrepreneur and as a, as, a, as a human. And so I've had to get out of my shell and figure out how I can present certain ideas, even if they're not fully formed yet without fear of, of, um, of feedback, because that's the only way that those ideas will grow and they'll materialize right. into something. Right. You know, before we head into the last uh, few questions, I was mm -hmm. really interested on your take on uh, working for free, especially at the start. Oh, God. Yep. Because I think the opinions on this are so polar opposite. Like there are some people mm -hmm. that are on the extreme, like I'll just name like one public person, like Gary Vee, for example, he talks yep. a lot about we're going to be in a time in the future where people are actually paying me to shadow and, and see how exactly I'm doing my work, almost like an apprenticeship, like internship type um, opportunity. Mm -hmm. And there are others that say absolutely nobody should be asked to work for free. So I'm curious from personal experience, um, you mm -hmm. starting off in this industry, you know, maybe what were your thoughts then and ha have they evolved or have they changed up until now? They've evolved and changed a little bit. I would still do all the work I did for free, for free, if I was back. Like, if I could go back in time, I would do everything I did the same, except for, except for when I worked on productions, on concerts. I just wish that I was a little bit more knowledgeable to ask for funding, better funding so that I could execute my ideas better. That's really the only thing I regret. I don't, I would still do all of my writing for free. Um, Why? The amount, of, the amount of relationships that I build, it gave me, okay, okay, hold on. I'm not going to retract what I'm saying, but when I, it, it's really hard for me to think of those opportunities now mm -hmm. because at the time we didn't have social media. Anybody right. can be a creator, literally anybody. Anybody, mm -hmm. I saw this lady on Instagram. She was a mom. She just made a video where she was frustrated about her kids. And then that video went viral because like a parent blog or something picked it up. And then now she's getting free things from her favorite stores just because she's considered a mom influencer or whatever. But she, that was never her intention. She's just posting her life on Instagram and she was doing a venting video and that video just went viral places and now she's an influencer so now she has income 
that income might not necessarily be in a financial, like in terms of financial uh, reimbursement, but it is in the form of things that you need that you would be spending money on. And so it's really hard for me to think of contributing to publications for free when you could put it on your own platform now and, and build content. Right now, publications, media, publications, brands, really anybody that has any sort of a, of a name or a brand in any capacity needs content. Artists, everybody needs content, right? And if you're a content creator of any sort, whether you're a journalist and you're interviewing people, whether you're a concert producer and you're doing live performances, whether you're an artist and you're creating music and content, you are a content creator. That content creator can live somewhere and it can generate revenue by living somewhere. Because it's generating revenue, somebody can pay you for it, right? Whereas when I was doing interviews, the amount of ads that were being, like that people were buying on Ipop Canada, it wouldn't have put me on a salary. You know what I mean? It's like I wanted the exposure then because it helped me build my, my uh, resume as far as a writer, right? I wanted to produce content. I was doing parties and concerts and stuff, working for free for, for other promoters or for other people. And I did that because I wanted the experience I wanted to learn. Now you can do a lot of that stuff on your own and you can create content and somebody will pay you for that content. If I go and produce a showcase tomorrow, I'm sure that I can go to a brand and say, I want to throw you your logo on this showcase. Even if it's a virtual one and it lives online, especially if the YouTube of the artist has someone of a following or the brand itself has following and it needs content. Like you can generate revenue a lot easier today than you would back when I when I started in the business. So I would, if I could go back to the era of no Twitter, no Instagram, no TikTok, no Facebook, mm-hmm. I would still absolutely do all the work that I did because I loved the work that I was doing. I was passionate about it. It helped me build the network that I, I have today and I wouldn't change a thing. Instead of the concert concert stuff, I wish that I, I had got some more funding from other people except my, 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 myself. But, but today, would I, would I do internships for free? Yes, if I don't know anything I'm trying to learn, absolutely. But I, I still feel that if people are contributing their time and effort to something to help you grow in any capacity, that should mm-hmm. be reimbursed for mm-hmm. that work. Now, if I'm spending more time training you than you are contributing to my business, then you are, you're definitely doing this for free. Because I've, I've been in that situation, right, where you're t- teaching somebody how to do something because they haven't done it before. And that's okay. That's how people learn. That's how they become good at, at, every, at, at whatever their, their intent to, be, to, to work in, whatever position or profession they choose to work in. But if after a certain time, I'm still teaching you versus you contributing to me, then to me, at that point, my, my intern, not that they cannot expect to get paid, but you know, it's more of a learning experience for them. But if that intern or that person is coming in and helping me grow my business, whether that is by creating content, that whether mm-hmm. that is by, you know, doing research, whether that is by being my assistant, whatever it is, right, that, they, mm-hmm. that you're doing, I think that they should be compensated for their time, mm-hmm. especially because they could go create content tomorrow, pitch it to, to other places and make money right. that way. Right. Context really matters. It seems like you used, you know, these work opportunities to really open doors for yourself, get into rooms, build relationships. Really powerful. For me, it wasn't about the job that I was doing. It was really about what was the purpose of me doing this job? I'm doing an interview with somebody. Of course, I want to help help elevate their career. I want to be in the moment. I really want to do something that's really powerful for the community. I'm trying to build my resume. But at the end of the day, I want to be able, I want this to mean something. So everything that I did for me had to have a purpose. Not to say that I did things with, obviously, with uh, ulterior motives or 
other intentions, but I always wanted to make sure that if I'm doing something, if I'm, if I, for free, especially that mm-hmm. this is what I'm gaining from it. Right. Everything right. has to, it, if you, if you, if you want to contribute your time, your mind, your ideas, your experience into something that if there is not financial growth, then it should be somewhat, some sort of other growth for you, whether that is networking, business, relationships, whatever it is. So people, a lot of times, intention, honestly, doing things with intention is so important. I, mm-hmm. Even now I'll get, I'll get requests from people to, of things like, Hey, are you looking for an intern? I want to work for you. I will get you coffee. I love getting coffee for myself. I love waking up in the morning and making <laughs> coffee. Honestly, I love going to the store. I love that the, the, the person working the register knows me. She smiles at me every morning when I get my coffee. Like, I'm okay with that. I don't need somebody to go and run and get me coffee. I want you to make me better. I want you to come mm. into my establishment and help me grow. That's the whole purpose of people working together, for me at least, right? And so I think that if you want to work for somebody, you want to intern for somebody, you should do that with intention. What is your intention here? Is your intention to help stay in this business? Great, then come to me and tell me how you can contribute to my business in a way that other people are not doing. Getting coffee from me doesn't, doesn't do that. <laughs> I think people see that online, almost like a flippant comment that people um, that people use. But I think it goes back to your earlier point of knowing your shit when you come into meetings. Yeah. And I think when people reach out, it's that research piece. What does Lola need right now? Yeah. Where are opportunities that I see that I could really, you know, offer my service yeah. and my talent? That's yes. crucial. I've um, had emails. Sorry, I've yeah. had emails. No, no, no. Go ahead. Of people. Of people being like, hey, I just graduated university. I uh, love what you do. love the artists you work with. I want to work for you. I was like, great. What did you have in mind? Yeah. I don't know. What do you need? If I have to take time mm-hmm. to figure out how I'm like, I don't, you don't have any, any specific skill set, right? Like you're not, you can't, you're not coming to me saying I do digital marketing and this is my skill. Like this is what I'm really good at. It's really just saying, Hey, I just graduated. I, I, I was, I was um, studying, I don't know, music business or communications. And I like your company. I want to work for a company like yours that, that is in the creative arts and helps artists, whatever. Right. They sometimes they go to my website and they'll copy like the about us and they'll rewrite it back to me in an email. And I'm like, cool. Glad to know that you read our (laughs) our company about, um, but then I'll be like, Hey, so, so what do you want to do? I don't know what, what is it that you need? And it's like, I don't have the time to figure out where to place you. I should. Mm -hmm. And if I really, if I really need it, then I will. Right. But if I'm not soliciting for a job, if I'm not saying, uh, intern needed and you're applying for a position if you're emailing me because you want an opportunity you have to figure out how to get that opportunity like what are, what are you going to do what what position are you, do you want to fill hey i noticed that you guys do artist marketing you've worked with xyz here's how i can contribute to your growing team you know like i don't to me that stuff is like you know it's like easy right and so when i don't see that sometimes it it, it bothers me why, why doesn't, why isn't that your thought process? When I would, I remember going and interviewing artists and saying, Hey, um, you know what? I can book you in Toronto to do a show. Do you want to do that? And they're like, Oh, I've never been to Toronto. Yeah. I'd love to do that. Okay. Amazing. Cool. So thanks for the interview. Let me figure out how I can. And that's how I would, I would keep in touch with a manager or an artist day to day or a label rep or whoever. Right. Or I would always try to figure out how can I 
help you succeed by leveraging my relationships because I'm hoping that if you are successful based on something that I did tomorrow, mm -hmm. I can come to you and say, Hey, can we work together again? If I have an idea or a plan. So, and it's for me, it's work. It's work because I was, I never needed anything. I didn't do things because I needed something. I did it because I genuinely just wanted to see somebody grow. So if you want an opportunity, but if you have an intention of, of an opportunity down the line, my intention though was to build relationships, right? That right. was my end goal. So if your intention right. is to work for a company and you apply for a position that is, has not been advertised anywhere because you want a, an internship or an in with that company or with that artist, figure out, figure out where you can contribute. And hopefully that person sees your value and says, you know what? I didn't know that I needed somebody, but you know what? I kind of do. So come on, you know, let's, let's try it out type of thing. Right. So yeah, sorry, go ahead. You, this you is so good. This is gold, honestly, because <laughs> I think whether it's unsolicited, um, you know, whether there's not a specific or formal job description out there and you're really like seeing a gap that you could fill, that's really powerful. Um, would you say, I did receive a question because I, I put out there that I was going to yep. interview someone in this space. And a question that I received is, how and where should I look for opportunities, whether it's marketing or A&R in the music business, especially during COVID? And like what kind of skills are record labels or media companies looking for? Would you say that most of it is who you know? No, I, I, I think yes, it is. In the industry, it is definitely who you know. But I think that everybody is adjusting to a virtual, again, virtual reality. And people need to be people, everybody wants to be successful. Labels want to be successful. Artists want, want to be successful. Brands want to be successful. Um, and right now the best way to do that is digitally, right? How can I succeed making music and mm -hmm. putting it out there in an era where everything is digital and there's no concerts, there's no experiential, there's nothing, there's no personal experience or hands-on experience. Right. And I think that if you want to work for a label, or if you want to work for an artist, you have to figure like, the, the specific skill that I think everybody's looking for is digital, honestly. So if you know how to create content the best way, I think that you definitely have a skill that everybody would want. If you know how to market somebody through the social networking platforms, um, whether that is TikTok or Facebook or Instagram or uh, Twitter, how, if you know how to create a community, honestly, that's probably the biggest key I can give. If you know how to create a community, I think that is what everybody's looking for. And sometimes it's not often recognized because uh, creating a community can, like all communities are powerful, but they're also very different from one another. You have online right. communities of like influencers. You have online communities of people of influence, right? Which are not necessarily influencers. You have, all, you have communities of like fans. You have communities um, that are strictly based on the particular social network. And so, but if you know how to do that, I think that you could be of service to any artist label A&R, especially if it is in the influencer, influencer space or digital marketing space. So if you know how to create momentum, how to create excitement, how to reach out to people, how to create a community, um, how to engage an audience for a particular artist, brand, release, product, whatever it is, then you are of value, right? Back, back in the day, um, last year, <laughs> last year, as far back as last year. Yeah, 2019 things, feels like a decade ago. <laughs> it does. So I'm like, I was, I was like, back in the day, 
last year. Um, you could do these things by, like we did these things by creating meet and greets, by creating pop-ups, creating events, private events, curated events, um, dinners, lunches, brunches. You take influencers to manicures, you get artists to do uh, to album listenings. Like you do all these things, right? And these create excitement. You, cre you invite your immediate community of artists, I mean, of um whether it's like your label or like DJs or reps or whatever to listen to the album, they get excited. They go and bring it back to their, to their, to their teams, right? They get excited. Then you do a concert, they all come, they get excited. And then your project comes out and everybody's like, ah, oh, oh my God, I got to hear, you know, that's how you kind of build excitement. Now we can't do that anymore. So if you know how to still create that similar excitement for a, 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 a product and under product you can put everything from an artist to an album to a song to a release a clothing a, a brand whatever it is if you know how to create that engagement and that excitement then i think that the opportunities for you are endless but you have to know what you're good at and what you can do and how to properly pitch yourself so right now i know plenty of people who know people but i'm i don't want to take them to work for me or to work a project. I want to take somebody who can really make a difference. I want to be able to go to a label or go to an artist I'm working with and say, I want to hire XYZ because I know that they can build this for this artist, right? Or for this product that, or project that we have coming up. Um, so I think that there's a few places where you can see what label is hiring from Glassdoor to LinkedIn to even social media. A lot of people who are hiring just put it on social media. But I think that what's going to stand out is not, and it's not just like your resume having a lot of like checks on check marks on it. Like I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. It's really just saying how can what I have done, my experience truly contribute to what it is that you need to that particular job. And then hoping that you hit the mark by selling yourself for that particular job. So good. And this can yeah, be like, this 100% can be applied to, to folks anybody. who are outside of oh, the yeah. music industry. Yeah. A music business, of course, it's on relationships. But when it comes to jobs, yeah. like I had somebody call me the other day, needed an assistant in LA. Um, and I was like, okay, they're in the music business. Um, they're like, we need somebody who understands like how fast paced the music business is. Um, this is a team. This is a talent. This is what they need. This is what they would be required to do. It's remote, but they would need to be in LA just in case. Um, and I'm thinking, and I'm just sitting there like, I don't need, I don't need somebody off. Yes. Of course. If I know somebody that's been referred to me by somebody else who I respect or I trust. Sure. Right. But I'm looking at my resumes that I have because people send me resumes on a regular basis. And I'm looking at these resumes and very few people had resumes that were not, um, copy and paste from like a resume right. guide or something, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, People put things on their resume like Microsoft or Word proficient. Yeah, you better be Word proficient. Like that's not a in this day and age, that's not a skill. That's like a requirement. You know, like you shouldn't even have to say that you know how to do that. Like that is just something that you should just know how to do. Like a skill is like I understand how to go make TikTok go viral. I would look at that and be like, check, I need you, right? But not in the assistant position, but in in marketing. But in the assistant position, I'm like, okay, I have to look at your previous experiences as it relates to that to this particular position, and say because of what you because of the the job that you have held and the responsibilities that you have had, you are good for this job. Not because 
you've just done a bunch of stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I think that people should spend a little more time tailoring their resumes to the job that they're applying for and not be so generic. And I think that, that, that of course, like I said, re relationships matter and finding a way to be in the, in the part as a part of a community of a person mm -hmm. you want to work with or a company you want to work with is important and just to be on their radar, to get on their radar. But sometimes I think that people need to give themselves a little more credit and be more mindful of what they're putting out there in the universe and really do things with intention, not just kind of slapping a bunch of names and titles and, and descriptions on a resume, but really just being purposeful and, and, and having intention. I definitely think instead of applying to 10 that you are mildly interested in, like sitting down and you, scoping out two that you could really put powerful, you know, applications and even reaching out to the people who's making that ultimate decision um, yeah. outside of that formal process is, goes a long yes, way. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I've sent you a resume looking to apply for this position. Notice that you are working HR in this company or, or again, everybody's on Twitter. Like I know CEOs mm -hmm. and execs, not CEOs necessarily, but execs like on the, on the music industry side, label execs and artists execs who are on Twitter and Instagram all the time. That if you were to message somebody and say, Hey, I sent you my, my resume for this job that's available in your company, they would probably say, great, send it to X, Y, Z. If it's the, if they're not the person that's doing the hiring, they'll be like, send it to this person 90% of the time. And I mean, I feel like people, people in, the, in this day and age are very savvy. If, if you applied for a job with a label and you follow somebody from that label in, on Instagram or on Twitter, you can simply just message them and say, hey, Lola, you know, a job became available. I saw on whatever that a job was available, really wanted to apply, um, sending in my resume, just want to make sure they go to the right person. Is there somebody else I should be reaching out to? And then like, if that was me, I would absolutely be, and we, there was a job opening. I would absolutely be like, yeah, send your resume and letter or whatever to this person. I also forward a lot of people when I, when I'm impressed by a resume or by somebody's uh, skills or what they've done, I'll also forward resumes quietly of people to other people just for if there's opportunities if something makes sense thank you lola this has been incredible thanks so much for taking the time to chat i know of that course. applications for girl connected are going to be going out soon so did you want to yep. share a little bit before we you know end this conversation around you know who you're looking for what's your vision for the next year yeah so we are actually going to do two semesters for next year we're going to instead of doing one year it's still going to be a one-year program still 20 mentees but we're going to divide it and do one semester for four months and another semester for four months um still obviously very much music business focused um don't want to announce the different uh the different kind of like program scopes yet but um yeah it's it will it, applications will open in december in the next week or so Okay. Um, and they'll, everybody will have about a month to apply. Um, and then after a month of, of, um, of us reviewing the applications and the interview process, we will uh, have our 20 mentees and then we will go into the year. So we are doing a lot. We did six workshops. I believe it was six, six workshops, public workshops this year that were available to anybody online with RSVP. We're doing a lot more of those this year. So there will be a lot more public oh. engagement for people who are not um, part of our programming so they can be a part of our external programming and still attend a lot of these conversations. So there'll be opportunities for people to get involved. And for the last program, we did have one 
one of our mentees was from Ottawa and one was from Montreal. So we did have some, some people from out of town and with everything being virtual, at least for the first semester, semester, we might open it up to individuals outside of, outside of just Toronto, maybe mm-hmm. like other parts of Canada. So we're still, we're still working on that programming aspect of it. Cool. Very cool. Lola. And yeah, I'm super excited to see how it plays out too. Lola, for the last question, yeah. what would you say, you know, something that's happening in your industry that you're really obsessed about? What, what, is, what would that be right now? What I'm most excited that's happening right now in the music business is the fact that artists have an opportunity to put out music on their own and mm-hmm. be able to own 100% of their music and market themselves through their own platforms. So it's kind of like the 360 model, but it lives within the artist. And so by building these communities that I was speaking of earlier and doing things with intention, an artist truly holds all the power to be able to own 100% of their music, put everything out on their own and make all the profits. So that way they're not in this really long contract and they're not tied to agreements that don't necessarily always help them. Um, yeah. And then again, they own, they own their music. So that's the most exciting thing, honestly, that's happening right now. Cool. Thanks again, Lola. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. I'll have all the links to where you can find Lola, Girl Connected, everything that she's up to in the show notes. Yeah. Thank you. We'll look forward to you. And you're amazing. By the way, congrats (laughs) on everything that you're doing. You're so awesome. So I'm just so happy to see the podcast that's happening, that you were able to take a lot of your conversations that you were doing in person, that you're able to take those online um, and continue to thrive and do that. So I'm really excited to have been here with you and spoken to you today. Thank you. Thanks for making the time. And thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Power of Why Replay Edition. Follow the link down in the show notes to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and make sure that you share this link with your loved ones. See you next time.